have you ever been to the bottom? I've been to the, the bottom of the metaphorical well a few times in my life, and I just want to share a few of those with you this morning at the front end here. Uh, the first time I can remember really being desperate before God, I was, you know, middle school, teenage age, somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly what year it was. Uh, but a friend of mine and I had been exiting the woods where we would often, uh, you know, hike around and play at that age. And we were getting ready to, to crest a hill, and he uh, had decided he was going to go on ahead of me. And then we would, you know, rejoin forces at the top of the hill and walk the 100, 200 yards to my house from there. And so uh, he, with a quick rev of the engine, uh, disappeared from beside me and then eventually into a cloud of dust that proved to be ominous. Uh, What I later discovered was that a uh, chain had been suspended across our beaten path and he hadn't seen it. And so when he tried to go up the hill, uh, the chain actually hit him in the chest, uh, wrapped around his neck and ripped him from the seat of his dirt bike. And so when I got to the top of the hill, what I discovered was uh, the bike over the hill and then my my friend kind of halfway over the hill uh, with blood just all over him. And so I did what a young kid would do in that situation. I kind of got my uh, shoulder up into his little nook area. That's, that's what I call this. I don't know what y'all call it. But kind of in the nook, and we did that military kind of limp to my house and, and got him uh, emergency care, and they took him to the hospital, and they took x-rays, and I was told, uh, they told us, look, he's got fractures in his spine, and this is uh, pretty bad. He's likely not going to walk, and uh, there was question about if he would make it or not. They decided to life flight him to Pittsburgh. And it was at this point that uh, I remember pretty distinctly getting on the floor of my bedroom, like laying down prostrate and just wetting my carpet with tears and just praying. Uh, When he landed in Pittsburgh, they took more x-rays and uh, were very confused, and so they took more. And eventually they beside themselves, the doctors were like, look, the x-rays we took at the first hospital reveal all these fractures, but the x-rays we're taking now, uh, we can't find anything wrong with him. He's fine. Uh, My buddy uh, ended up just with a scar and some soreness and a brief stay in the hospital for a few days. It's the only time I've uh, been around somebody that I believe was physically healed by God, like firsthand. We were just calling out, and God had mercy heard. And the second time I remember really, really calling out to the Lord, well, I guess this isn't in chronological order, but another time I remember really calling out to the Lord uh, was in December of uh, 2014. I was on December 7th uh, when Chelsea miscarried our second child. And we had been told that there were complications and that um, there could be a problem, and so we had been praying all week, and I remember uh, that Saturday night recognizing something was wrong and laying in my bedroom and praying and praying and praying. And I remember coming here just broken, um, mourning with you all. And God was there. He, he heard. And he had mercy. It's good. One of these things that you discover at the, at the the bottom of the well or at rock bottom is that sometimes answers to suffering, like why something happened, it's not, it's not all that important. 
Additionally, it's not really something you can discover. You don't always have the answer about why something in particular happens or does not happen. But what is helpful in those moments is knowing that we have a God who has suffered just like us. That he took on flesh and walked through this life and experienced betrayal and loss. What matters is knowing that he hears me and has mercy. And that deliverance from those circumstances, if it comes, it's, it's great. But ultimately, there's a greater salvation beyond those particular circumstances. And that is a salvation from sin. And when you know Jesus, and you know that you're going to resurrect like Jesus, that he died in your place for your sins so that you don't have to suffer like Jesus in eternity, it, it gives you this ability to face even the worst of sufferings with a smile. It gives you this ability to see through tears the beauty of God's world. God really does have mercy. I'm so thankful that even though he doesn't always deliver us from our circumstances, that Jesus has delivered us from our sins, which is the greater salvation. The third thing I can remember, and this is the last one I'll share, I remember in my first year of marriage, it was awful. Like, just awful. And most all of it was due to my selfishness and my sin and my foolishness. And if Chelsea were here, she might amen. I don't, I don't know. But there were, there were all kinds of, of troubles. And I can remember we had this little <laughs> one-bedroom apartment in Raleigh. And it was one of those deals where, uh, you know, like the, the kitchen kind of rolls into your dining room, kind of rolls into the living room. You know what I'm talking about? And so there was this, there's like a refrigerator here and a little counter, and then we had a washer and dryer, and it was behind one of those little folding doors, you know what I'm talking about? And it was just this tiny room, and there's enough space to have a dryer and a washer and stand in between. And I, and I can remember just being so frustrated and just sitting in there with a pen in my hand and my prayer journal and writing and praying and crying and feeling broken, like, God, why would you call me to such a place? Like, I'm, I, like you know, I'm only a couple months into this marriage thing, and I'm like, I'm stuck here, God. <laughs> like, like, you have to fix this. And God heard, and God had mercy. My marriage isn't in peril as it was. It's in progress still. I've been to, to the bottom and I've found that Christ is often most sweet there. It's often against the backdrop of darkness that light shines the brightest. That's why if you ever uh, go jewelry shopping, I've only been a couple times now, uh, and they, they take out that black cloth and they'll put a diamond on the black cloth so that you can really see that puppy shine. I think sometimes when we are suffering, that is where we meet God in the most real way. 
Have you ever been to the bottom? In Jonah chapter 2 today, that's where we find our prayerless prophet. He is in the bottom of a watery grave and he has a fish as his casket. And it's here that he will finally cry out to God. And God, well, he raises Jonah from the dead. He has mercy on those who cry out in faith. And that's our main idea this morning, is that God has mercy on those who cry out in faith. And my exhortation is going to mirror the outline. I'm going to exhort you to pray from the bottom and to pray from the heart. With that in mind, let's, let's pray and we'll get into the text this morning. God, the most important thing for each of us as individuals today, the most important thing for us as a congregation that you've gathered here, is for us to have a true encounter with you. For your godness to be a reality in our lives. Pray that you would make us awake to the reality of your presence here with us now that we would delight in hearing from your word. Help us to listen well and to respond accordingly. Give us your spirit and speak. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With me at verse 1 of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Take a quick stop right there. This actually happened, all right? It's not metaphor. It's a historical satire, and it's written brilliantly. But these events, that they actually happened in time and in space. They're intended to um, tell us and teach us about how God is meticulously sovereign and radically merciful. If you have doubts about this, it's not even in my top 10 most hard to believe things in Scripture. Uh, Jesus says that it's a historical account. He talks about Jonah as a historical person many times, and generally, as a rule of thumb, uh, people that predict their own death and then die and then rise from the dead, I believe them, right? I think what they say is true. This actually happened. And so, from the belly of this great fish, Jonah finally calls out to God. And this is what he says in verse 2. It's kind of a summary of the whole experience. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. That's the realm of the dead. You heard my voice. 
later in, in verse 6, we'll see, he says, I sank to the foundations of the mountains and the earth's bars or gates shut behind me forever. For Jonah, this experience was like being buried alive. This is what it took for Jonah to cry out to the God that he had run from. Remember, God calls Jonah to call out against Nineveh, and Jonah turns and flees. God, again, through the lips of the sailor, encourages Jonah to get up and call out, this time to God in prayer, and Jonah remains silent. And now, finally, from the belly of the fish, Jonah calls out to God out of the distress that he is in. Look, look at the horrible language that Jonah uses to describe his experience inside this great fish. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current, literally river there, overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed, or reeds, was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit. Lord, my God, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. It takes an incredible experience of death for Jonah to finally call out to God. God had to cast him into the sea. Did you notice that? Verse 3, you threw me into the depths. Uh, this, this is the same word, or I'm sorry, this, this is the same throwing that the sailors allegedly did, right? In verse 15 of chapter 1, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. It's like, wait, I thought the sailors threw him, but now he's saying God threw him. And, and what we see is that God, in his meticulous sovereignty, is working even through these pagan sailors when they cast Jonah overboard. Jonah credits God with that. He says, you have cast me into the depths. God's fierce judgment, his severe mercy has to come upon Jonah before Jonah finally cries out. And one of the, I think the ironic thing about this is God's judgment of Jonah is, is him giving Jonah precisely what he wants. Jonah wants to be away from the Lord's presence. He wants to be separated from God. And so God says, if that's what you want, then you can have it. I'll give you an experience of death. Friends, physical death is a prelude to eternal death. It's a picture of eternal death. It's the tip of the iceberg. Death, eternal death, hell, is separation from God spread out across eternity. And it's terrible. There is nothing but weeping there and decay and darkness. 
Jonah wants to be free from God's presence, and so God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. I'll, I'll fling you into the sea. Jonah had thought, hey, I'll die and get out of this commission to Nineveh. That's preferable to going and obeying God's word. I'll follow the way that's right in my eyes rather than God's way. Jonah's way led to death. And so God begins to teach him a lesson as Jonah faces death. Look at this this language. He threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. I mean, this is... This is what it takes to get Jonah to pray. What will it take to get you to pray? Prayerlessness is faithlessness. And a pitiful prayer life is better than none at all. I mean, what what would God have to do to get you to pray regularly? For Jonah was throwing him into the seas and overcoming him with a current or this river. In Mesopotamian thought, uh, there was a uh, mystical river that ran at the bottom of the ocean. And this river would take you towards uh, the land of the dead or Sheol. And that it was a place where you would be judged. So that's the picture we have here, is is Jonah caught in this river, heading towards judgment. Have y'all ever been whitewater rafting? Maybe some of you. If you're not familiar with whitewater rafting, it involves uh, novice sailors, a little uh, boat, it's like rubber and inflatable, and a raging river. And what you do is you get in a boat with usually like some people you know and some people you don't know, and you get in this tiny little kind of boat. It's, I hate calling it a boat because it's inflatable, but boat, raft, whitewater rafting, raft. Uh, you get in this raft, and then you, you try to go down the river, and the whole goal is to not allow the river to capsize you. It sounds really dumb, doesn't it? People say that danger is part of the appeal, I guess. But it's da- it is. It's dangerous. And if you talk to someone that's done it, I haven't, you'll find there are all kinds of experiences, especially somebody that's really into it. I had one friend tell me of a time that uh, the boat was flipped and she got thrown like 10 feet the other direction and then was underneath of the rapids and her leg had become caught between two rocks and she went, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. This is it. And luckily for her, someone had saw her, was able to swim to her, swim down to her, and then pull her up out of the rapids. But she was feeling the the weight of the water kind of crush her beneath its surface. This is Jonah's experience. Water is rushing over him. He's feeling crushed by the weight. There's nothing he can do. Maybe you've experienced it. If you haven't been whitewater rafting, maybe you've been to the beach. If you've ever fought the waves, like you used to love to do that as a kid, or maybe you've turned around and you're talking to somebody while the waves hit you in the back, and then a really big one comes unbeknownst to you, and all of a sudden your face is in the sand, underneath of the water. I mean, this is what's happening to Jonah. 
He feels as if there is a river that is pressing him down beneath it. The force of the waters are overtaking him. They're crushing him. And it gets worse. Verse 5, the water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains or the roots of the mountains. And earth's gates shut behind me forever. The Mariana Trench is the deepest part, or sorry, it's the deepest trench in the ocean. It's just crazy, crazy deep, and it's located 124 miles off the coast. Oh man, I just forgot the islands. Well, if you're not as good at geography, maybe this will help you. If you're looking at a map, uh, it's like to the right of China and then down from Japan, whatever these islands are here. Any help? No? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Some kind of south below Japan and next to China. Huge trench. It's kind of crescent-shaped. It's called the Mariana Trench. To give you an idea of how deep it is, we, if you wanted to, and you could, uh, you could take Mount Everest, set it in this trench, and then maybe you said to yourself, I'm going to swim to the surface above from the top of Mount Everest that's now underwater. You'd still have to swim a mile up. That's how deep this puppy is. Super deep. This is where Jonah is. He, he is in the Mariana Trench. He is at the lowest point he could possibly be. He is in the depths, being crushed by the weight of this water. He feels as if he is white water rafting down this mystic river at the bottom of the Mariana Trench with seaweed wrapped around his head and no boat. He is in peril. And now he finally calls out. And God answers. Listen, one of the points of Jonah depicting his experience in this way is to show us that he is as far from God as he could possibly get. Like Sheol, realm of the dead, supposed to be like bottom of the ocean, mystic river taking me away. And God is supposed to be here in, in Jerusalem, localized in the temple. But this is the point, the image we're supposed to see. Jonah is as far as anybody could ever get from God. But when he cries out, God hears him. God responds to him. You see verse 7, my prayer came to your holy temple. But what he means is you heard me. And how does God respond to Jonah's prayer? He lifts him from Sheol to the shore. Jonah describes it as you raised my life from the pit. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you are at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. And that uh, your life is never going to get any better. And that God could not, he could not clean you up. He would never accept you. Maybe you, you feel like you are too far gone in sin for there to be any hope for someone like you. Wrong. Wrong. God hears the prayers of people 
who cry out in faith. But you, you don't know what I've done. Friend, God does. And Jesus shed his blood for it. Yeah, but I'm, I'm really, really sinful. Don't fall into that covert arrogance. You cannot out God's grace. It's not as if, oh, you're so bad and God could never forgive the likes of you. No, he's bigger than you. He's bigger than your sin. Jesus' blood does not fail. It cleanses. God gives greater grace. He saves sinners who call out to him. And maybe you're like, I have a Mariana Trench filled with sin. But friend, if you, if you take that Mariana Trench filled with sin, and you put your faith in Jesus, what you'll be left with is a Mariana Trench filled with love for Christ. Because he who is forgiven much, loves much. That wonderful story in the book of Luke, chapter 7. One of the Pharisees invites Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus sits down and then in verse 37, a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with her perfume. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know what kind of woman she is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly. And turning to the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she's loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Friend, if you have a, a ton of sin in your life, God's grace can take care of that. And when he does, what will happen is you will love him more than someone who doesn't recognize the weight of their sin. God is able to save anyone who will call out to him in faith. If you are at the bottom this morning, pray from there. Pray from the bottom. Call out in faith to God. He is faithful. He has mercy. He will hear you. And the good news is, is he, he's there with you. He doesn't look at you as you suffer from afar. 
but stands next to you and suffers with you through it. Love when the Psalms say that God bottles the tears of the saints. He knows your pain. He hears and and he has mercy. Pray from the bottom. Maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe you're really in a pretty good place. Some of you are UVA fans. They won the ACC tournament yesterday. That's good, you know. You had a nice meal last night. Everything is kind of cool. That's all right. I'm glad you're here too. There's a lesson, though, in this for you. It's, it's don't wait till you get to the bottom to pray. Pray as if you're already there. It's funny, in the eyes of our culture and in the eyes of the world, weakness is a bad thing. But in God's economy, weakness is a good thing. It leads to the power of God. And this is what prayer is. It's expressing your weakness and your need for God's strength. Love that uh, picture that Paul paints for us in 2 Corinthians 12. He's talking about, hey, I have this thorn. Nobody really knows what the thorn is. And he's like, I kind of hate it. And I keep asking God to take it away. And he keeps telling me no. Even Paul got told no sometimes. And this is what God said to me, Paul says. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You want to experience God's power in your life, a reality with God. Well, come to him in weakness all the time. Because the truth is, even if you're not feeling like you're at the bottom, even if you're not feeling weak and at the end of yourself today, you're still really weak. You are in need of God just as much on your best day as you are on your worst day. And he loves you just as much in Christ on your best day as on your worst day. And so you can come to him just as boldly in prayer because you have trusted in Christ. I mean, Jesus has drank all of God's wrath for you. You don't have to worry about disappointing him. He's accepted you in Christ. He's pleased with you. Don't wait until everything falls apart to pray as a last resort. Like I think Darlene said in Sunday school this morning, we were talking about prayer. How sometimes our approach is, all we can do now is pray. Like there's nothing left to do, and I guess we'll try this prayer thing, and it's not really going to work. No, this is where we should start to pray, because that is where God's power comes from. Notice too, Jonah's prayers here are laden with Scripture. Um, If you look at like, if you have a Bible that has the little letters and then tells you there's Scripture references or cross-references, he's basically quoting a bunch of Psalms. Uh, If you don't have those, just look up Psalm 116 later for homework and read it, and then compare it to what Jonah says here. He's praying all kinds of scripture. I think this is a really simple application. What's inside of you is what comes out of you. And Jonah, when he is in peril, he has grown up knowing the word. He's grown up around God's word. And so when he prays, he knows how to pray. He prays God's words. So important in prayer. It's such a hard thing to do 
One of the things that can help us to do that is to simply know God's word. I mean, have you ever had to try to have a conversation with somebody who's not listening to you? I mean, if you have grandchildren or children, you know what this is like. The same thing is true with your prayer life. God has spoken to you in his word. And if you don't read his word, if you don't listen to what God is saying to you, you're going to have a hard time communing with him in conversation. You say, uh, God speaks to us in his word and we speak back in prayer. Prayer is, is hard. But it's worth it. It's worth the labor. This is where God's power comes from. If you, if you want to see God do miraculous things in your life or in our church, well then, then we need to pray. We need to be a people that prays and doesn't wait till we get to the bottom to do so. so. Some ways we can do that because prayer is hard. Schedule it. Schedule it. And some of you are like, yeah, but I'm so busy anyway. I've got X, Y, and Z to do. I'm just, I'm just too busy to pray. If you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy and it's time to cut something out of your life. Because prayer is more important than that, whatever it is. Pray. Schedule time to do it. Find somebody else in the church that you're cool with. Maybe somebody that you don't really like all that much and say, let's get together once a week and pray for one another. Have coffee. Schedule times to pray with each other. Schedule time to pray with your children or your grandchildren. I pray with mine before bed. Sometimes it goes better than others, right? Sometimes I'll pray with Owen and he'll just be screaming the whole time because he doesn't want to go to bed. That's okay. We're praying together. Schedule a time to pray with your spouse. I can't tell you how hopeful this will be to your marriage and to your spiritual life. Pray with your spouse. Schedule times to do it together. Schedule a prayer meeting here at the church. Pray. We want to be individuals that pray and we want to be a church that prays because we want to be a people that sees God work. We want to be a praying people because we believe in the reality of God's presence. The reason that prayer has any power is because of the God that we are praying to. Prayer is hard. Pray as if you were at the bottom. Pray just as desperately when you're comfortable as you are when you are afflicted because you are just as dependent on God. We need Him just as much today as we do any other day. I hope that that you would start to wake up in the morning and go, Jesus, I need you more now than ever. Go here, God has mercy. He has mercy on those who cry out. Pray from the bottom, friends, and pray from your heart. Look at verses 7 through 10. Actually, let's Let's just look at verse 9. Jonah says, As for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He is giving thanks for the salvation that he has experienced. And this is just such a great place to start any prayer. Gratefulness to God. Just joy that he has brought you into relationship with himself. Practice praying with gratitude thanking God for what he has done. 
It will help to stifle your many complaints about many frivolous things. My kids shame me at this. When we pray before dinner, they always thank God for everything. Thank you for my water cup and my plate and my chair and the clouds and the sun and the grass and, and this house and for mommy and daddy and Isaac and on and on and on and on and on. And I'm going, all right, I'm glad you're thankful, but no, it's, it's good. I need to learn to pray more like my kids. And I think you might too. Pray with thanksgiving. Jen also says this last line, salvation belongs to the Lord. That little line might summarize for us the point of the entire book of Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And what Jonah has recognized in his prayer is that God is the one who is in charge of rescuing sinners. Jonah doesn't like the people in Nineveh. They're notorious for cruelty. They are barbarians. They have oppressed his fellow Jews. He wants them to get what's coming to them. He doesn't want to go and tell them about God's mercy and then, of all things, have them repent and receive God's mercy. No, he wants them to have judgment fall on them. And he knows that God forgives those who repent. And so, he runs the other way, right? He says, I'm not going to Nineveh. That's what got him into this situation in the first place. And now he's saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. He tried to manipulate God. He tried to get out of going to Nineveh, but now he is confessing, God, you're in control of all of this. I mean, I got on a ship, I tried to get away, I tried to die rather than obey you, and you wouldn't let me die. You appointed a sea monster to swallow me up. You're, you're going to get your way because salvation belongs to you. Which brings us to maybe the most interesting thing about this prayer of Jonah. I'm going, to see, I'm going to let you try to find it in a second. There's something really important missing from these 10 verses. I'm just going to give you a few seconds look and see if you can find something that is absent. Okay, I'm going to tell you. It'll be on the quiz later, all right? There's no confession of sin. No confession of sin. Now, I'll argue that I think Jonah repents of not going to Nineveh because what's he going to do when he gets out of that fish? Chapter 3, he goes to Nineveh and preaches. But notice what he doesn't repent of. His animus towards the Assyrians in the city of Nineveh. And his lack of repentance on that front shows up in his petulant behavior in chapter 4 when he is angry that God is not eliminating them. Also, there's a hint of his animus in verse 8. It says, Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. They forsake mercy. You go, well, who are those who cherish worthless idols? And if we're reading really thoroughly, which I did not, a commentator had to show this to me, we look back 
at the sailors, and they are those who were calling out to idols. And then look, Jonah says he's going to make sacrifices to God and, and make, he makes vows. And who else makes sacrifices to God and makes vows but the sailors in verse 16? And here's what's going on is Jonah is kind of comparing his response to God's mercy with their response. And what he is suggesting is that their conversion is fraudulent. Now, he doesn't know about their sacrifices and their vows yet. He just knows that they threw him overboard. And he's kind of going, they're going to go back to following all of their idols. They're not really believers. They're not really going to um, follow you. But me, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to make vows. Jonah still harbors hatred for those who are outside of God's saving mercy. Kind of has a once an idolater, always an idolater uh, position on this. It is interesting. I think maybe this is part of the reason God chose Jonah for this particular mission, was to show him how out of sync he was with God's own heart. And even like God's response to Jonah's prayer and his thankfulness is, is funny to me. Uh, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Like being vomited out of the fish isn't exactly the most glamorous of, of exits. Though I guess it's preferable to the other way out of a fish. <laughs> but you can kind of see that, that God isn't perfectly, like Jonah is not in step with God completely here. And I, I, I want to bring your attention to that to say, pray from your heart, pray with thanksgiving to God. But, it's going to sound silly, pray imperfect prayers. What I mean by that is, God knows that you're a hot mess. You don't have to try to hide it from him. Go ahead and pray. He'll have mercy. He'll be patient and loving with you, just like he's patient and loving with Jonah here. I love that he's like, he's like, all right, Jonah, you've been running the other direction for me. I'm going to correct that with all of my miraculous work and this, this giant fish. And we're going to deal with your hatred for the Ninevites later on. Right? God is, has dealt with one of Jonah's sins and now he's going to deal with the next. And I'm so glad that this is how God deals with us. Like, he doesn't just crush us beneath the weight of all of our sins at one time. I'm going to tell you something. That you're not aware of every sin in your life right now. And that's God's grace to you. He doesn't let us come face to face with the true mountain of our wickedness because he's good. Yes, he lets us see our sin and he lets us see our desperate need of him and we say, God, I'm going to turn and start living my life your way instead of living it my way. I'm going to choose the way of life over the way of death. But when you repent of sin like that in general, it doesn't mean that every sin in your life is repented of or is gone the next day, right? We always say, uh, we're perfect in Christ positionally. God looks at us and says, justified, perfect, good, holy, but practically, we're not there yet. Like, not yet perfected. And so, what Jesus does for us in the Christian life is he holds our hand and he walks us down the path of holiness step by step. And I want to encourage you, it takes, some of you have sins that you've struggled with for years. 
I mean, decades. And I, I have sins I, I've struggled with for a long time. There are times where I still get way more angry than I, I should. I mean, I denied that forever, and then I was like, okay, I've got an anger issue. I'm going to try to a, a deal with this. And then I was like, oh, I got it handled. And then like, oh, no, I don't. It takes time to uproot sins that you have cultivated for your whole life. It takes time, and it hurts. Jesus is a kind surgeon that cuts you in order to heal you. He's got to make an incision to remove the tumor. And it, and it hurts, and, and it takes time. And my point in all of this is to say, it's, it's okay that practically you're not perfect yet. Don't be afraid to pray imperfect prayers to God. You know, he, he doesn't care if you use like super flowery language. He just wants to hear from you. He wants you to access his power. He wants you to come to him in weakness and ask for his strength. And he'll hear and he'll have mercy. It is wonderful to know that even though Jonah had no right to pray to God, to cry out in mercy, that even when he was as far from God as, as one could get, and the kiss of death was about to put one on him, that God still heard him. And God will still hear you when you cry out. God is still merciful. He, he, he hears those who pray to Him. And though we have no right to call out to Him for mercy, He hears us because He refused to hear Jesus who had every right to His mercy but was met with silence. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed to God to let the cup of the cross pass from him, if it were possible, he was met with silence so that our prayers might be heard. When Jesus was cast into the depths of the seas of God's wrath, when the cords death were wrapping around his head when he was sinking to the roots of the mountains and having the gates of Sheol close over top of him. When he cried out to God, he was met with silence so that we would be met with mercy. On the cross, Jesus takes hell so that we can have heaven. Jesus endures the terrifying reality of separation from God for us so that we can enjoy the reality of life together with God and one another. If we call out to Him in faith, we call out to him in faith, he'll have mercy on us. He might not deliver you from your circumstances, oh, but he will deliver you from your sin. And that is a far greater deliverance. He'll deliver you from your sin and he'll enable you to endure any circumstance, any trial, any hardship, because you'll have the secret to facing those things. 
Jesus Christ. And because you have Jesus, not only do you get to share in his death, but in his resurrection, you get to look forward, beyond the grave, into a time when Jesus is going to make all things new. He's going to make everything sad come untrue. He's going to bring a resurrection and redemption of all who have faith and of the world that he made good. All you must do is cry out. And God, he will have mercy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jonah because he looks so much like us. He's an imperfect prayer, an imperfect repenter, but you love him still. God, we thank you that you are our God. That in the same way you raised Jonah's life from the pit, you raise us up to life with Christ when we put our faith in you. It's a spiritual reality now and it'll be a physical reality later. We thank you that we can call to you, Lord, my God. We thank you that you're personal, that you love us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and that no matter where we are in life, even if we are at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, that you will respond with mercy when we cry out to you in faith. God, we ask that you would make us a praying people, a praying church, so that we might get to see your power worked out in us and in our community. We want to see the dead raised to life, God. We want to see the lost be found. God, we know that there are people in our little corner of the universe that don't know you. We pray that you would save them. God, we know that there are sins in us right now that we're unaware of. We pray that you would reveal them to us and root them out. God, help us to pray our guts out and allow you to sort us out. We trust that you are good. And though we don't have the answer to every kind of question we might have, we do have Jesus. We do have your word. We do have your Holy Spirit. And you, God, are more than enough. You are our hope and our stay, our strength and our portion forever. You are the apple of our eyes. You are all that we desire. All of our hopes and our wants find satisfaction in you. Jesus, you are our shepherd and we shall not want. We pray in your name.